Virgil Wolfscale, a telegraph clerk from Missouri on his way to Montana to search for the yellow metal, stopped at a Wyoming road ranch one day in 1898 for a supper of fried venison and coffee. Heard there was good range. For the next week, he rode around the country, finally staked a homestead claim on a spread east of the big horns that had been cut from the holdings of a Scots outfit that pulled out the year before. A year-round stream, Bull Jump Creek, cut the property, fringed by cottonwoods and willows, the shining maroon branches of water birch. It was still open country, though barbed wire was coming in with the nesters. He built a shotgun cabin of hauled-out lodgepole, married one of the girls from a whorehouse in Ham's Fork, and, naming the ranch after the harp his mother had played, thought himself a Wyoming rancher. He wasn't that, but his sons and grandsons were. Lightning recap. In What Kind of Furniture Would Jesus Pick by Annie Prue, a stubborn, possessive rancher finds the world constantly changing around him when all he wants to do is stand still. You've got... A little time. We got a little podcast. This is Short Story Short Podcast. I am Christopher J. Garcia, revived from a summer break where I, like all the people who signed my yearbook, stayed cool. And today I am here with... Christy Baxter. That was a fantastic intro. I was trying to come up with something and then you said that. And now I can't possibly compete with that. So I'll just say I got sunburned. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's all that needs to be said. (laughs) I did not stay cool, apparently. That's very true. Well, you can be cool. You can get a cold sunburn, which are some of the worst sunburns because you don't realize you're getting sunburned. Yeah, that was kind of what happened. (laughs) Yeah. America. Anyhow. (laughs) Hey, hey, Christy. Yes. During our time away, when we were doing our beach reads, we only had a little beach time. So what little thing did we read? We read a little story called What Kind of Furniture Would Jesus Pick by Annie Prue. I love when a story could be answered simply by the phrase rattan. Um, (laughs) That's that's my takeaway from the whole thing. Um, But this is a story that is remarkably fascinating because it is not so much a story as it is an investigation of setting, but it's not just the physical setting. It is the cultural setting that it's sort of dealing with. And that, and the sort of strife between a set of expectations and a set of traditions that are valid yet changing and it really does a great job. The Annie Prue, of course, is best known for Brokeback Mountain, which is the literal manifestation of the South Park joke about cowboys sitting around eating pudding. But one of the things that Annie Prue, or Prolks, as a, I was often saying while I was reading this again, <laughs> does is take concepts and sprinkles them throughout her stories. And I think the sprinkling here is done very, very thinly that you have to sort of catch it. If you miss a single phrase, she is, she's a sentence writer. No question mm. there. 
I was just um, thinking, yeah. <laughs> and if you don't catch the one key moment, the one key, f- you could lose an entire section of meaning to it. Yeah, that is true. You do have to, it, it is definitely demands a close read, but that close read is not arduous. It's enjoyable. I mean, yeah, you said she's a, she's a sentence writer. I copied so many bits and pieces. I would say she's close to a, a, even a phrase writer because I copied so many little bits and pieces over that I enjoyed just, just little surprises right there that you just get to open up as you read the sentence. The first one being a, a description of, uh, of our, our wonderful rancher here. His coarse skin seemed made of old leather upholstery and instead of lips, a small seam opened and disclosed his cement colored teeth. Yeah, that, that one got me. And uh, actually the phrase that to me drug me the deepest in, as always, is a phrase about food. The lunch of cold pork and boiled eggs seemed the best thing Gilbert had ever eaten. That answers so much without actually giving you any sort of background. Yeah, and it also gives you that sort of uh, connection to the character because we've all had that meal on a day when we're super hungry and it's something very simple, but you're just, you're so satisfied by it and you're so sort of able to enjoy every element and aspect of it that you're like, it doesn't even matter if it's just a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it's still the best thing you've ever eaten. Uh, I also picked out a phrase related to food. People wanted the plastic wrapped pre-basted Safeway turkeys with breasts like Las Vegas strippers. Yes, that is, that's on brand for this podcast, I think. (laughs) It really is, yes. Oh, that was, that was a beautiful phrasing. So yeah, I do think, I do think on the sentence level, on the phrasing level, that is where Annie Prue shines the most. And if you are just skimming, if you're not paying attention, if you're not invested in the story, you're going to, you're cheating yourself because you're going to miss out on a lot of, a lot of beautiful sort of moments, not necessarily in the, in the story, although there are, there are those beautiful in their own very special way, but beautiful moments in the prose itself. And it is a highly 21st century story. This is a story that is the story of the 2010s that takes place (laughs) mostly in the 90s and very turn. Uh, But what's interesting is that it moves in a way that feels like the things we were reading a couple of years back. And it's describing a sensation that is very second decade of the 20th century. The teens, can we call them the teens? So yeah, we haven't really settled on anything and it's already over. So I guess we should say something. I hate, I, I hate when I hear people call from, you know, 2000 to 2009, the naughties, but you, you know, I'm just gonna, I can't stop them. Like people are gonna do what they're gonna do. That's the turn of the century. This is the straightening of the century. <laughs> um, I could go with uh, with the teens. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, and it did very much feel like the teen years of society. <laughs> and one of the things also in here that is really impressive is so little of this is done through dialogue. 
And then when you yes. get, yeah, when you get something spoken, like when you see the quotation marks, it has a bigger impact. Like, uh, you know, them rich pricks are lower than a snake's ass in a wagon truck, he said to his mother. I told him my granddad homesteaded this place. And if I ever see his California butt on my property again, I'd shoot it off. That sort of deep, like on the surface, that phrase is just local color. But it adds so much when you're not getting color anywhere else. That is the impressive part of Annie Proust's uh, ability to pick and choose her moments. And she does that so vibrantly. Yeah, and you're right. that That's another thing that she sprinkles throughout. She's a sprinkler. Annie Prue is a sprinkler. She sprinkles the dialogue throughout too. She, she knows the power of restraint. That like, say you have somebody who swears all the time. Well, them dropping an F-bomb here or there is, is not really going to uh, affect you or, or have any meaning. But somebody who doesn't swear hardly at all when, when they drop it, then it has impact, it has meaning. And it's the same thing here in, with the dialogue and with some of these little sparkling moments that she gives us, very darkly sparkling, that she knows the value of restraint. And it, the more you hold back, the more impact it has when you finally let loose. Exactly. And this is a story also that I think is back-weighted. I think... She hits you, and as it goes, I think you're feeling that it's getting not only deeper because you're picking up those little bits along the way, but I think it's also getting more, more of the moment, I guess. And I guess that makes sense when you're, you know, you start <laughs> way back when. Yeah, it starts in 1898, and then we, yeah. we end up like a century, maybe more later. So, yeah. But yeah, it's... No, you. I was just going to say something about like how how much this is about time's passing. But even though time passes very quickly in the first part, you know, you jump from our original rancher, uh, you know, good old Budgel <laughs> to, <laughs> you know, his uh, his grandson, if I've got the, the genealogy right, Gilbert, you jump in in just after two paragraphs, you've got you know, grandfather, and then you've got grandson, you've got the next generation and 47 years have passed. And yet you still don't realize for quite a while that this is a story about, about the passage of time. Yes. And here's that, that thing with me that this one works so well is the idea of Wyoming as a, not necessarily timeless place, but a place that is so defined that as time passes, no one bothers changing the definition. They change the reality, what they do, how they live, but the place is always the place. And I think that that idea of place plays really deeply as it goes through because we are getting moments of these characters who none of which really hit you, well, maybe Gilbert a little bit, really hit you as like, like impressive, important, significant characters beyond this miniature aspect of the story. But the place 
hits you. Everything that where they're interacting with the place itself becomes impressive. Uh, I also love the fact <laughs> that there is a mention of the California State Allocation Department, one of the worst departments ever to exist. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you're right that this is a story where setting is a character of its own. You know, the setting is almost more real than the people that kind of seem to drift in and out of his life like ephemera. And the setting is certainly more real to him. And he even says that he, it, well, that the prose says that he loves it more. Uh, his feeling for the ranch was the strongest emotion that had ever moved him. A strangling love tattooed on his heart. It was his. It was as if he had drunk from some magic goblet full of the elixir of ownership. And in addition to being beautiful writing, that's also says a lot when this man has been married and had two children. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, that's it's still it's still the ranch is still his his first love and his biggest love, and so I think it, it also it, it's really interesting when authors use setting and make it almost a character in the story, and then it's it's it compounds the interest <laughs> when it's <laughs> a, a, a setting that becomes a character to the characters too. Correct. Hey, it's been a while. I missed that little boost. <laughs> I also love there is, like, I think all of Annie Prue comes down to moments and with that sprinkling. And I think the dis- the way that uh, just, I'll read it because it's so great, so perfectly done. He was unprepared for the telephone call from a neighbor, Fran Banghammer, Harmer, uh, it was the morning of July the 4th. Too bad about Susie, all that right on the front page too. Uh, what do you mean? What was on the front page? Arrested for embezzling, Monday's paper. That happens to me constantly. Not on the phone. I was born after 1950. Uh, but <laughs> how many times does this happen on Facebook Messenger? How often? Yeah, where you get some news, you know, out of the blue and it, it might even be about somebody like you're, you were one point closer to the person who's the subject of the news than the person delivering it is. But that gossip train, especially in small towns, man, it can really do a doozy. And with, with Facebook and other social media, the whole world has become a small town. So yeah, that's definitely, that's another one of those moments that we can all uh, react to, that we can all sort of connect to where we've gotten some news by somebody who delights in delivering it. Usually they're like, I've got some bad news. Let's go have some fun. It's usually those kinds of people. And so it, 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 we can all kind of reach out to that moment and connect to it and say, yeah, been there. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was, uh, got a message too. That was, hey, how about Chris Burroughs? And I was like, what about Chris Burroughs? Oh, he, he died in a day's, in a day's in in Glendale. Uh, I was like, whoa. Now the rest of that story is quite dark. It was, he was a television personality in Los Angeles, went to school with him. But uh, that moment, like, as soon as I'm seeing this, it's like, oh, wow, that's, yeah. Anyhow, what, do you have anything else about this one? I have a couple of things about this one because there were a couple more lines that I got and, and then I had, a, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the, the final scenes. Uh, I really love that Susie, or if it's supposed to be, 
read the way it's written Suzzy, but I don't think so. It's um, Susie. She's talking about people who deserve to be ridden bareback by the devil wearing can openers for spurs. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna put that one in my back pocket and <laughs> I'm sure I will probably use it next time I'm out shopping or something. Um, <laughs> or maybe driving, you know. And then another one that really just like hit me uh, as he stood behind him, he noticed the sun's thinning hair and felt the hot breath of passing time. And if that isn't this whole story wrapped up in a bow, the hot breath of passing time, that could have been the title. Although what kind of furniture would Jesus pick is definitely serviceable and really draws you in. <laughs> the hot breath of passing time. The latest silk stockings. <laughs> Hey. And then, hey. oh, what's the other one? I'm, I have more. I have, have more? more final wow. thoughts. My, my, my final thoughts are like the back half here. Uh, so I was really blown away by this moment where she, in two sentences, she manages to characterize somebody that we haven't met and don't meet at all. Uh, but the kid, Coot McNitt, had a half-baked theory that rice cultivation had developed to replace a shortage of maggots in early man's diet. If you listen to him long enough, he'd make you believe it. I, we, we all know that person. Two sentences she manages wow. to flesh out an entire fully formed character. We yeah. Did. Yeah. I think you're a little bit Coot McNitt. <laughs> hey. Hey. I'm not disagreeing, yes. but hey. <laughs> it's okay, Coot. It's okay. So, uh, and then I just wanted to point out that the parade at the end, really, I, not to get all English class in here, but the parade, it really is, and it might even be maybe, maybe it's a little, a touch heavy handed on Annie Prue's part, but it also does drive it home very uh, successfully that the parade he has to sit through, which is, you know, all of these stereotypes of, you know, the things that you might find in the West and he's forced to sit there and watch it all go past and he's not part of it. There's no ranchers, definitely a metaphor in which he's forced to confront his own obsolescence and also really is kind of perfect because it's also analogous to this story itself where he's just basically mm -hmm. wants to stand in the creek and just let it flow around him without moving or changing or anything and then at the end he's forced to stand still when he doesn't want to and and so that's kind of I felt like that was because that you know managed to do those two things so successfully sort of mm -hmm. uh bring home the character's uh, thoughts and and general attitude and also kind of throw it in his face in a way uh, I thought that was brilliantly done and then final 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 thought is really Rattan Jesus would not pick Rattan Chris I mean Coot <laughs> absolutely Rattan it's the best think about it for a guy who ended up nailed to hardwoods I think he'd want a dark softwood that sort of allows him to sort of lean back I don't know. Rattan feels too, you know, uh, like I'm not going to head out to the lanai. <laughs> Shady and I pines, guess Jesus, Mom. <laughs> I guess Jesus is a lanai guy. You're right. He probably is a lanai guy. See, I would go for, all right, so my half-brother, he lives in the mountains of North Carolina, and he makes these, uh, he makes furniture out of rhododendron branches. And it's very, uh, you know, rhododendron branches, they and they, they can grow gigantic. 
and the branches they they can be very they can be kind of twisty and you just kind of work with that and let that kind of dictate the flow of the furniture and i think that at least one item of furniture in jesus's apartment would be a rhododendron chair like that sure <laughs> really upset that i'm not getting on board the rattan train aren't you <laughs> sophia <laughs> i just invested a lot in rattan and i was hoping you would back me up on this um <laughs> oh damn <laughs> that's awkward <laughs> yeah, it happens hey, hey christy hey hey yes what should we read in the future for the next episode of the podcast <laughs> In the future, I think since it is kind of boiling hot, we should pretend that the leaves are falling from the trees and the kids are running down the street and we want to get spooky. Uh, So we're going to preempt Halloween because time hasn't had any meaning for a couple of years now anyhow. So what the hell? And we're going to read The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. Yay, my very first Poe that I ever read when I was a little, little Christy. <laughs> uh, yes, by Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, I'm very excited. I'm going to make so many Simpsons references. It's going to be hilarious. <laughs> I'm going to make so many references oh. to uh, marrying family members. <laughs> <laughs> very different cultural ties. Well, in that case... <laughs> This has been Short Story. Rattan Podcast. <laughs>